I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, college football fans across the nation and around the world. This is Tim May with the Tim May Podcast. And uh, Awesome Ward is my co-pilot once again this week. Awesome. Welcome once again to the Tim May Podcast. Well, thanks for having me. Right, well, you know, the seat's always there. It's got your name on it. Occasionally there's a guest, a guest uh, when, when you're uh, – schedules conflict but usually you're at the controls when i'm not and uh i appreciate you being on once again awesome yeah just ready to get into it as always lots to discuss and uh never boring around here in other words gear up flaps up let's go into cruise i'm with you i'm with you uh real quickly just jumping into it um you know we talk mostly about ohio state football because that's mostly what we cover number number one number two that's mostly what we're experts about and uh And number three, Ohio State, Uh, when you talk about Ohio State football, you're talking about the national scene also because Ohio State is part and parcel to the national scene. Well, new college football playoff rankings will be coming out on Tuesday. Uh, This podcast drops on Tuesday morning, so we don't have the new CFP rankings. But if you were a speculating man, uh, Awesome Ward, what would be your speculation of where Ohio State lands after seeing Michigan State get beat over the weekend, uh, which was previously number three in those uh, CFP rankings? Where would you where would you say Ohio State's going to land this time? Well, and, you know, and you, you can't take that just in a vacuum, and even just in the Big Ten. I mean, Alabama, frankly, continues to look well below its own standard and well below the national expectation for them as a as a threat to win it all. Which the committee said they were the number two team in the country. Well, the number two team in the country probably shouldn't uh, beat a hapless LSU team that's already fired its coach by six points at home. And uh, if, if Ed Ogeron was even remotely confident, competent, they would have won that game. Um, Cincinnati, you know, for the second week in a row, struggled. It's hard to see how that would elevate them over Ohio State, which, um, again, by the Ohio State standard, didn't play up to the way its full potential on Saturday at Nebraska, even if that's a more significant win than it might get credit for because of Nebraska's record. Uh, Oregon. Didn't really light the world on fire, but they still have the head-to-head. I don't know that this week is enough to change that order for the committee. I don't know what they'll do on Tuesday night, Tim, but I think Ohio State will be somewhere in the top four now, and it's hard to imagine why they wouldn't be. Yeah, top four or five, like you said, it depends on the whims of the committee. It's it's hard to believe they won't be in the top four based on what what we've seen thus far. Uh, But, like, you know, if we were trying to light a fire, last weekend was not the – was not the time to bring your kindling out because there were very few sparks floating around the country. I mean, it was crazy. You know, maybe it's because of parity of college football. I don't know. Maybe it's just because it was the, uh, uh, you know, November and uh, teams are getting a little bit tight. But let's get specifically in. Uh, I agree with what you said about uh, Alabama, by the way. I just don't, you know, I understand their legacy. I understand their tradition. I understand their history. But this is not one of those great Alabama teams. I'll be proven wrong, I'm sure, at the end of the year. We'll see how it goes. Uh, but uh, let's get right into what we were talking about earlier. And, uh, by the way, I have my special guest this week. is a former Ohio State All-American running back, 
uh, was joined, was uh, finally celebrated for being named a member of the College Football Hall of Fame in 2020. He finally got his day again in the shoe, the same place where he lost his shoe on that legendary run against Illinois way back in 1984 and had great comeback victory by Ohio State. But Keith Byers uh, joins me this week for an extended interview. And we talk about a lot of things, including maybe, you know, maybe that wasn't Ryan Day's best day of play calling uh, this past week against Nebraska, but you can still see the talents that's, that's there. Uh, the Ohio State running game maybe needs a little bit of a, a freshening for one of another term, whether that could come from the quarterback maybe running a few more times. You know, we'll get into that debate. You and I will too. But uh, uh, but I just want to get your just your take coming out of that game at Nebraska. I saw that as the two real pothole games for this Ohio State team this year on the road. I said that back in August at Nebraska, where you've got a coach and a team fighting for you know fighting for their careers and their respectability, and then the next one is going to be at Michigan. Uh, we've got a coach fighting for respectability, even though that team may have. Uh, 10 wins by the time Ohio State faces it. I'm talking about Michigan. But, you know, it wasn't that of a surprise that Ohio State struggled once again a little bit in the red zone, but struggled once again to put up a lot of points based on the way Nebraska had played so far, right? Yeah, I mean, it was a very, another highly um, rated defense statistically. They had played very hard. They had a good scheme. And I think if you look at what this Nebraska team has done best, the most – success they found is with that defense, which yep. uh, is not Scott Frost's forte. So you you wonder if they'll be able to retain that and how important that would be for Scott Frost's future if he is to get another year, which I don't really know how the results would merit that, even if they're playing very hard. But that's uh, a conversation that a lot of people were debating uh, in Lincoln over the last couple of days and, and really for a month or more. But certainly while we were there uh, in the press box on Saturday, you know, I think when you look one through 85, Ohio State, I understand why they're a double-digit favorite. Uh, that was part of the reason why I picked them to win that game very comfortably. Uh, and just because, you know, that should happen doesn't mean that it will in every single week. And there's something that's just out of sorts for Ohio State offensively. Yep. Uh, but they, they they continue to string together enough drives where they can get Noah Ruggles in position to kick field goals. You know, you don't really – want to rely on a field goal kicker necessarily to win a national championship, but sometimes you have to on the way to get there. I think that Ohio State will get these things figured out on offense. You know, the comparison of uh, panic or confidence that Ohio State could get the defense fixed up for week two, I thought that was uh, a little bit more up in the air. You look at the talent and the pedigree uh, of the coaching staff on the offensive side of the ball uh, and the talent they have to work with there, obviously, I think it's pretty – it seems like a much safer bet that the offense would get it figured out. And, you know, in some ways, the fact that Ohio state has not played uh, three complete phases and, and dominated in a while, man, maybe that's a good thing that their best football is still ahead of them. I don't know. That's, that's maybe too much of a silver lining, but uh, they didn't lose the game and you take a nine point win on the road uh, every time. That sounds like a cliche, but again, as I say on this show all the time, uh, cliches become that because they're true. Hey, number one, thanks for calling this a show, man. That means it has some production quality. <laughs> some people might debate that. And then number two, you know, like I was saying after the Penn State game, man, you know, every two field goals you kick, that's a touchdown, you know. And uh, Noah Ruggles has basically scored four touch or four touchdowns for Ohio State in the last two weeks. I mean, stays perfect uh, kicking the ball both uh, on PATs and uh, FGs. Who knew he'd more have more FGs than PATs, you know. Uh, I think I could write a song about that, a country western song. 
but uh, but the bottom line is, you know, you get it, you get it where you can get it. But uh, without a doubt, there is concern about Ohio State red zone offense uh, now, and uh, basically the running game offense. So, you know, and uh, you and I are going to come back and uh, kind of cut that up a little bit, and then talk about that this upcoming game with Purdue, the spoiler makers. I think that's an apt, an apt nickname for these guys now. Maybe they ought to change it to that. You know what I mean? Uh, to take out any kind of double entendre that, in fact, they're a, an alcoholic drink. Uh, but uh, but the bottom line is the Boilermakers have, have, have beaten Iowa. They've beaten Michigan State, knocked, knocked both of them out of the big, out of the unbeaten ranks. Didn't do a lot of good for the uh, Big Ten's uh, Dauber, you know. But for the Boilermakers, the Spoilermakers, it did a lot for that program. They're going to come in throwing the ball. We know that because that's pretty much all they do. But, uh, you know, let's first let's get to my conversation uh, with Keith Byers, ladies and gentlemen, former Ohio State All-American. And for like eight or nine games, um, his junior year at Ohio State, uh, the greatest running back I've ever covered. He got a high ankle sprain late in that uh, 1984 season, which kind of took his took it uh, took away from him. Of course, he uh, suffered a broken bone in his in his foot going into the 1985 season when he was heavily favored to win the Heisman Trophy. So things just didn't work out for him in the Heisman Trophy race. He has Doug Flutie to think for that a little bit in 1984, but uh, he always has some great observations. He watches every Ohio State game. He's a big Ohio State fan, as he uh, alludes to in this conversation. So without further ado, let's get to my conversation with Keith Byers. And as promised, ladies and gentlemen, a blast from the past. Uh, basically, one of the plays I covered at Ohio State. I don't know, Keith Byers, you might have been the greatest player I ever covered at Ohio State, but Orlando Pace, some of these other guys might have a little bit of an argument there. But man, welcome back to the Tim May Podcast. <laughs> well, thank you, Tim. But yeah, you know, I appreciate the compliment. But one thing about that compliment, I don't think nobody has that mental at Ohio State, and that's the that's the greatness of Ohio State. You know, I said, well, that's a little disrespectful to a lot of great players that played before me and those that came after me. You know, as long as you, as long as you know, one of us or uh, you know, a few of us have mentioned, that's good enough. Yeah, you know, and that because it's always going to be somebody coming along and. And you're happy that the foundation was laid laid before you know you got there. That's one of the reasons why a lot of people you know came to Ohio State because of what you're signing up for. It's a lifetime commitment, and as long as you're one of the the greats, that's awesome. Well, all I know is you were the last great to take a bow in Ohio Stadium, uh, last home game against Penn State. Uh, they recognized you for being part of that 2020 uh, College Football Hall of Fame class. Uh, long time coming. It was belated, of course, because of the pandemic from a year ago and stuff like that but dude what was it like to hear hear an ovation once again in the shoe man that had to be pretty good oh it was it, it was I mean it, it took me back well gosh you know 35 almost 40 years ago and you know when you when you're there as a student athlete you know playing at Ohio Stadium you know you don't take it for granted because you know it's special because it's something you you know a lot of people you know for me especially the childhood dream to, to wear the scarlet and play scarlet and gray and play at Ohio State University. Yeah. So you know those four years that I was there, each time was special. I remember uh, uh, offensive line coach, you know, rest in peace, uh, Coach Bill Miles. He used to stand at the gate at the horseshoe every time we walked on the field, whether it was for picture day, whether we had a practice or a game day. You always ran on the football field because it's like hollow ground. You're in the shoe. This is a special place. So every football Saturday, I knew you know special. And, and you know, being there as an athlete, you know, those Saturdays, the fans, you know, screaming for your team, screaming your name, calling key. Oh, it's just it's priceless. So every time 
over the years that I go back to Ohio State, there's not one time I step in that stadium where I just don't see, you know, I scored the end zone and added that touchdown that that, that end zone. Or I caught a pass over here, made a block, and, you know, just remember all the, the thoughts that go back through your mind. When the stadium's even empty, nobody's in the stadium. It could be, you know, a, a cold day in March, <laughs> you know, I ride yeah. by the stadium. So last Saturday against Penn State, um, to be on that football field on, on a game on a football Saturday and the fans, you know, showing you love and appreciation. Oh, man, it was just a wave of emotion, you know, came over me. I was like, get me off this field because I'm pretty soon I'm going to start crying. <laughs> yeah, It was just that special. And it's a night. And the Buckeyes won the game against Penn State. You know, I'll think back 5, 10, 20, 30, 40 years later. I want to live that long, by the way. And, and, and think about, you know, how special that Saturday night you know, in October was, and, you know, 2021 was to me and my family. Yeah. And, dude, you, you know, you put yeah. the shoe – you put the shoe in the shoe, <laughs> if you remember correctly, losing that shoe on that right. great run against – in that great comeback win against uh, Illinois, losing your shoe on that long run, and uh, that became legend, you know, just like uh, that season was legend for you until – like you and I talked about before, before last time you were on here, you know, uh, the unfortunate ankle sprain on the last offensive play – when you guys got beat yeah. at Wisconsin that year, you know, you probably stood, should have still won the Heisman. But it kept you from rolling up another 700 yards of rushing. Oh, yeah, man. We the next three games. Good yardage games coming up against Indiana. I mean, it was a high ankle sprain. Yeah. Never experienced that before. And, you know, my ankle really wasn't right until the offseason. Of course. <laughs> you know. Uh, but, yes, you know, I just, I just got twisted on a cold, wet, damp field in Camp Randall Stadium. Um, but you know, toughness, you got, you got a game next Saturday against Indiana. You got to play yeah. <laughs> as much yeah. you can until we get the game one, you know? Uh, but yeah, I do remember that. And, um, you know, that season was special, it, you know, it was a special, special season, you know, specifically for me and for, you know, for the team also first and foremost. And, uh, I, I, that's, I'll never forget it. Yeah. Never, ever, you know, forget those memories. Well, the reason that team was special, that team is still special, you know. It, well, it's always going to be special in your heart because it's the only, it was the only team in the, uh, in the regular era of the Big Ten before they started the playoff, you know, the championship game to win the Big Ten outright. Y'all won right, the Big Ten yeah. outright with two losses, with two losses. And uh, that was because, you, you know, y'all never gave up on the year, you know, even though you, you ran into a couple of roadblocks and, uh, and of course, you didn't go to the Rose Bowl and you get beat, but uh, uh, but still, it was a, a tremendously cool season, wasn't it? Oh, absolutely. Uh, I mean, of course, everybody wants to be a national champion and win national championships and things of that nature. But you, sometimes you can't apply today's methodology to yesterday's methodology. Yeah. You, you know, we in the Big Ten in those days, we played eleven straight weeks, no buy, and people forget that. You yeah. know, not only no buys, no layups. No cupcakes on the schedule. Every week, you're 11 straight, you know, your non-conference game was just as tough as your conference games. And winning the Big Ten was a major accomplishment. You know, winning all – whatever conference you was in was a big conference, but the Big Ten was special. We didn't care nothing about no SEC. We are like, please, you guys get a bye week plus you get cupcakes. Yeah. You, you know, you can go back and look at the schedule. You know, I'm not, I hate, I'm not being disrespectful to, to other conferences like – the Mid-American Conference and uh, uh, what is Conference Cincinnati is an American Athletic Conference. American Athletic, yeah. You know, all we played was, quote, unquote, Power Five schools. 
in major independents. You know, the schedule, you know, <laughs> that doesn't yeah. lie. You know, during my four years at Ohio State, so I'm like, man, I wish I could have played some of those other schools yeah. and got some stats and things of that nature. So uh, statistics, are, I always tell people, statistics only tell half the story of how good a person is. The eye test tells the other half, yeah. you know, of the story, you know, so otherwise you would just go with statistics and say, oh, this person is the greatest of all time. And you look what he did. And it's, you're not always comparing apples to apples and oranges to oranges. You have to actually see the time, see the game of that era, of that time, you know, to rate, you know, how good or how bad a, a player is or a team is, you know, to get a, a true identity of, you know, how good they was. I mean, my freshman year, you know, we can go nine and three. It was like two and it was another we won like eight straight games. We were probably the hottest team in the country. You know, and uh, we ended up winning the Fiesta Bowl. We had a, a playoff or something like that. We ended up beating Michigan, but don't go to the Rose Bowl, don't win the championship. So a whole lot of things, you know, get lost in the sauce when you got a playoff era, the BCS era, and things of that nature. I mean, when I look at Ohio State's schedule now, being all honesty, um, you look at the 12 games on their schedule year in and year out. Ohio State can throw their helmet out there and they're supposed to win 10 games. Yeah. It's like one to two games that's somewhat in doubt. You know, as long as Ohio State plays Ohio State football, they're going to win 10 games. There's only two games that somebody plays their best, Ohio State plays their best, then it might be a coin toss. Hmm. You know, of the 12 regular season games. I mean, it's just the way scheduling is. How do you not win 10 games? Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. a matter of can you win these one or two other games on your schedule that's going to be somewhat of a challenge and we didn't have that 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 you know that that uh you know that choice you know when we play I mean you look at my sophomore year we played uh, Washington State and Oklahoma as well as the Big Ten schedule and those teams I mean and then you look at the Big Ten that I played you know this a generation of players today that, that can't remember how good Illinois was <laughs> and they yes. have been the Rose Bowls you know it was like wow you know they was Nothing from them, to, you know, to beat Michigan or beat us, you know, because I shouldn't say nothing, but it was all every Saturday. It was a slugfest. So the year we won the, the Big Ten in 84 with two losses, it was week in and week out. Or, you know, any, any given Saturday, anything could happen because uh, the teams were, you know, that good and that deep and not just great college players. A lot of those guys went on and played in the pros for <laughs> multiple years. I mean, look at the, the quarterbacks you know, that we had in the Big Ten at that time that went on and played on Sunday from, you know, uh, Chuck Long, Jack Trudeau, Mike Tomzak, just to name a few. Jim, Jim Everett. That played, yeah. Jim yeah. Everett, you know, third pick of the draft. They yeah. went in and, and played in the National Football League. So great, great, great players and great times. And, you know, you, but you love it. That's what you sign up for. I want to play against the best of the best. So when you win the Big Ten in those days, that was a major accomplishment. And if you happen also, win a national championship and be considered because maybe we didn't have any playoffs. It was all voted. Them. Oh yeah. <laughs> it was, you know, you got two teams go 11 and 0. We don't know who's going to be, which game is a national championship game. So that's why conference wins meant more or as much as a national championship. National championship was just the cherry on top of the Sunday. Yeah. You know, when you, yeah. Sunday still tastes good, whether you have a cherry or not, <laughs> you got some whipped cream and ice cream, you're good. Absolutely. So that's what, <laughs> how important it was. It's hard to get people to understand that today because when, all y'all did was win the because when Ohio State wins the Big Ten championship and celebrates in Indiana, it's like, okay, now what? Like, guys, you know how hard it is to win the Big Ten? Be happy and joyful that you won the Big Ten championship. Now y'all have a championship game 
don't look at that as lightly. Like, well, did we make it to the college football playoffs? You know, we did, you know, like all these, you know, like what's a successful season and what's not. That is a very successful season to win the Big Ten championship, even qualify, you know, for the Big Ten championship. You know, yeah. that, you, you know, you got just now how much more successful will it be? You know, so don't, you know, uh, take that lightly. I'm glad they give the kids, you know, nice championship rings, one for win the Big Ten championship, one qualify. That's awesome because when they look back on it, they're like, well, that was, that's hard to do too. So it, it's all special, you know, and sometimes the fan base, you know, takes it for granted. What if us to be there? That's a lot of hard work that you don't see yeah, that, that goes into, you know, making that, that opportunity to be there. Yeah. I mean, you're exactly right. I mean, and see, the thing about it is BCS came along at least match one versus two, and then they go to the college football playoff. And now they, you know, it's, it's, it's get in or, you know, what'd you do? You know what I mean? It's get into that or what'd you do? And that's extremely unfortunate, I think, uh, for college football. The more you make it more like the NFL, you know what I mean, in all kinds of ways. The, uh, like you said, a lot of the things that are special about college football kind of go by the wayside. But uh, Not to mention the kids, the players, that, well, I'm not playing in the bowl game because I want to affect my draft status. Yeah. Why are you worried about the draft? What about your, you know, the commitment here at the university? It's yeah. been good to you and you're good to it. Don't you own one more game to give your best effort? Yeah. No? Oh, wow. Because we're not playing in this particular bowl game, then I'm not going to play. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. that I just couldn't imagine that. I mean, my senior year, I only played, what, four games or something like that? Yeah. You know, I knew I was getting drafted. I, I No way I should have played in the bowl game. But I'm like, man, I don't want to go out on Ohio State on the sideline. I don't care. I, you know, if I don't play the whole game, I never chance. I knew I wasn't healthy enough to play, but I'm like, not how I want to remember, you know, my time at Ohio State. I want us to win this bowl game and whatever, how much little or a lot I can do to help win it, I'm going to go out here and do it. And don't worry about, you know, what happens on Sundays, you know, somewhere down the line. Yeah. This is more important to me on Saturdays. Yeah. You know, my commitment to the university. By the way, we, lo we lost a little bit of your signal there when you were explaining that, uh, go, go play in that bowl game right at the beginning there. And, of course, that was the bowl game against Citrus Bowl against Brigham Young uh, in Orlando. Right. And, uh I like to I like to joke about that. I think you guys won ten to seven, didn't you? Or uh, I think it was ten to seven. Ten and to then, seven, yeah, I believe it. And, and and Ohio State had Keith Byers and Chris Carter on offense, and the only <laughs> touchdown Ohio State scored was Larry Kolick, uh, middle oh, guard, right. on an interception or fumble return. Right. I mean, what a right. bizarre, what a bizarre game that was, that. right, Keith? Huh? Right, but it was competitive. They had Robbie. Oh Bosco. yeah, they had some talent. Yeah, you know, on, on the other side of the line, and you know, we had played them a few years earlier in the bowl game, so we knew how good Brigham Young was. Oh yeah, uh, but if I'd have been healthy, we would have had more than we'd have had. We'd have had a couple of touchdowns. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I think that's that. knock on wood. That is correct. <laughs> hey, I want, I want to get to you on this. Uh, a couple of reasons I wanted to have you on more than anything else is I wanted to ask you. You've been I put you on assignment this week, but you're always on assignment. You're always watching Iowa State football. What has happened to the running game the last two weeks? with this basically vaunted offensive line and Travion Henderson coming on like gangbusters as a freshman, uh, both Penn State and for the most part Nebraska uh, have put up a pretty good defensive front against the run game. And as you watch this uh, going on, are you, are you concerned for Ohio State offensively in that regard? Or do you always look at it, Ohio State has a passing game that no one can stop consistently and they'll get Bible. But what have, what have you seen from your very experienced eyes? What's going on with the run game at the moment? 
Well, you know, every year is different. You know, you're you know, doing during the off season, you know, coaches and the players, they set their goals for the upcoming season. And you work on that throughout the off season. And then when the regular season starts, that's when you, you know, you talk about your identity during the off season. During the season, you go out there and prove your identity, like who we are, what we want to be and how are we going to meet these particular goals. And going into this season, we knew we, we, we uh, like Chris Olave is coming back. He's not going pro. Well, he was comfortable in practice knowing what type of quarterbacks that we had that was behind Justin Fields and who he can, you know, he felt could still get him the football. Yeah. So passing game, you know, just matter who was going to win the job to be able to, you know, to, to spread it out. And then um, running wise, you know, we knew we had some, some good running backs that we felt good, some incoming freshmen. You know, Mayan Williams had really stepped up big at the end of the season last year, and we felt good about him. But off with running game-wise, we haven't really trusted our identity of who we are going to be. You know, uh, Trevion had a lot of success early, you know, in the season. They don't know who is this guy. We don't have any film on him. Who is this guy? He, you know, that could take a screen against Minnesota and take it to the house and run in the ball. Like, wow, he is as good as advertised. You know, and yeah. everything else. But film goes around. Other schools, you know, they get to watch a film and see what Ohio State does and doesn't do so well. And let's try to exploit some things. And what other teams are doing, they're putting an extra guy in the, in the box. You know, and Ohio State's, you know, uh, non-commitment to the running game sometimes. You yeah. know, this past uh, Saturday when Ohio State played uh, Nebraska, uh, I think Coach uh, Day had his worst game. Uh, coaching as a as a as a as a head play coach. caller, in play caller in in his in his area, his tenure at Ohio State. You know that's okay. You know he's not perfect. Nobody's perfect. That was probably his worst game. And the time management. You know at the end of the first half. You know we have no time left on the clock. Hit Chris Olave and boom, halftime. We don't even get a field goal attempt because it was bad quarter clock management earlier in the half. And then in the second half. Some of the same things happen. I, when you come out of a TV timeout and you get a delay a game, yeah, that's not that's, that's not acceptable. That's strictly on the coaching staff, not the players. So it wasn't our finest moment, you know, from the coaching staff wise. And then, you know, we're not taking advantage of certain areas. You know, you, you're getting too predictable. You're running the same plays. It's okay, run the same play, but you have to have the same plays with different makeup on it. And we're not doing that. And, and something I really In, uh, wait, let, let me interrupt you. You, get, wait a minute. you, you, you broke up. You went, let me interrupt you. You broke up right there. Something you read. Uh, go ahead. Start right there because uh, this is very important as far as I'm concerned. Go ahead. Something you. Uh, what I, okay. Something I read after the Nebraska game was a quote attributed to uh, C.J. Stroud, and he said, I get paid to throw the ball, not run the ball. Yeah. That's the running back's job. I don't, I'm not supposed to run. And and I I attribute that to being a young guy, making him stay. He didn't really know how big that comment was. Yeah. It's, you'll get paid to play quarterback and execute. You're not really getting paid, first off. But your job is to play quarterback, and that's just not to throw the ball. That's to, you know, get the offense moving. And sometimes you have to keep, you know, uh, they can't run. They're not calling run, uh, RPOs, run pass option, because they're just calling straight handoffs because CJ's not missing – you know, when they got a defensive end crashing down, he's supposed to keep it. He's not missing that call because they're not calling it. 
because he's not going to run. And so teams aren't respecting that since they're getting an extra defender in there to hit Travion Henderson. You yeah. know, if he would pull it, it's wide open every time. Not every time, but 99% of the time, yeah. it is wide open. And even when he breaks the pocket in his passing game on, on rollouts, they know he's going to throw. He's not going to run. And that's the problem. And that's something that the coaches have to, you know, you have to make him run to make teams respect it. Because when quarterbacks run on us, we have to respect it because they hurt our defense. You know, when they, and, uh, you know, uh, you saw in the Nebraska game, they ran that uh, quarterback uh, power ISO with yep. the extra running back in there. We weren't ready. <laughs> you know, like that, that, that hurts defenses. And um, also, off Ohio State has to get back to hanging our hat on running the football because we know we can throw it, but play action means nothing if you're not going to run the football. In Nebraska, at one time in the game, they ran about nine straight times on us on one series, nine straight times. I don't remember last time in the last four or five years Ohio State has run the ball five straight times other than mop-up duty. You know, that's a commitment to the running game, and Ohio State has to get back to doing that. And it's only one football. I'm not saying they stop throwing the ball. I'm saying move the chains, but don't get stuck. And the only way we can move the chains is by throwing the football. You know, I want to see Ohio State when it's third and three or less. That's a 50-50 play. We can run the ball for three yards, and we can throw the ball for three yards. It's not now we're third and two or more, or third and one or more, we, uh, we're going to pass. Yeah. On fourth down, it's okay to run the ball on fourth down if we go for it. That, that toughness has to come from within. You know, I was fortunate when I was at Ohio State, I had a lot of great offensive linemen. And we would be in a huddle, and it's third and three, and Kurt Loudermilk or Jim Lachey would yell at me in the huddle to my Keith, can you get a yard? I'm like, what are you talking about? It's 33. We're going to block our guy for two. Can you get one? I'm like, yes. <laughs> That's the kind of confidence that I like to hear out of my offensive line because they're like, man, we're going to block it good enough for two. Can you get one? I'm like, well, it's 33. Well, you can get one. I know I can. You're going to block it for two. I can get more than that. <laughs> so that's the kind of confidence that you want to see out of your offensive linemen. You know, it's like, coach, you know, they, they come to the sideline. Why are we throwing the ball, coach? I got my guy. Let's run it. And then it's easier to pass block when you know that defensive lineman has to respect the run. Otherwise, they're going to keep rushing the quarterback and not respecting the run. I mean, yeah, not very often Ohio State is going to throw the ball 50 times and win. Yeah. That's not a women winning formula for any college football team, certainly not Ohio State. And, we got away with that against Nebraska, throwing the ball 54 times and still winning. But like I said, that was hopefully that's just an aberration. And Coach Day and, and the staff were working on that all week to, to get back to Ohio State football, which I heard Coach Day talking earlier, which is balance. That's all successful programs have to have that balance. Alabama won a national championship, had the Heisman Trophy winner, but they ran the football quite a bit, <laughs> yes. know, as well as throwing the ball off it. That's perfect balance, and we've had it. In the past here at Ohio State, also, that's what we got to get back to. And, you know, that means mixing in Trevion and Mayan Williams or whatever running backs we have, we got to keep everybody, you know, healthy and moving and can't be one-dimensional. That's how we want to make our defense make all the offenses one-dimensional. We don't want to turn into a one-dimensional offense. Yeah, and that's the reason, like, the last two games, Ohio State has had trouble in the red zone scoring a touchdown, you know? I mean, and uh, – and it happened again on Saturday. I mean, you remember against Penn State, they were – I think they made six trips into the red zone, scored one touch, one rushing touchdown, kicked four field goals, and they had that fourth down play to Chris Olave, passed to Chris Olave that he and Stroud weren't on the same uh, on the same page there, and the ball fell incomplete. 
uh, you know, just and then again on Saturday they had uh, this past Saturday on at uh, Nebraska they had trouble in the red zone and that's all about being able to run the ball or the threat that you can run the ball right and uh, and the other thing oh, yeah. Bob, go ahead. No, no, you're, 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 you're spot on because not only you got to be able to run the ball to make them respect it, and then the threat of running the ball, because that's when the play action passes, the way you can hit the tight end. You can hit the, the, the slants and that quick outs because now they have to play you honest. They can't cheat. You know, yeah. defense, those linebackers are so good at this level. You know, when you look at Nebraska, they have really good linebackers. They didn't know they, they could step into the passing zone because they knew they weren't gonna, we weren't going to run the ball. We yeah. weren't going to be successful. And sometimes – when they got a four-man front and four, they're playing a four-four defense, four linebackers and four defense alignment. Hey, just sometimes quit running these ain't these these uh, slant these slow development running plays. Let's just line up and run downhill at people. That way, our big offensive linemen don't have to reach block. They can come off and just hit the guy up under the chin, go chin strap, and, and and knock him off the ball. You got those three hundred plus pounds, you guys. Use them. Don't make yeah. them go lateral. Let them go north south. That's yeah. how you stop a running back by making them go east west. You know, you see a good running back, when he gets his shoulder square going north-south, all the good things are happening. But when you're running back, you're running parallel to the line of scrimmage, that's defensive love. That, okay, he's trying to turn the corner. We, You know, we're setting the edge. So we have to be the aggressors in, uh, in, in offense. You know, that's aggressive, you know, football. Run the ball downhill at people. And then you mix in, you know, uh, running east-west, you know, going lateral. But overall, with our big guys, you know, you got big Dewan Jones at one left tackle. Nick, for, I mean, right, right tackle, uh, Nick for tip Ray at the other one, and all that beef in between the, at center and guard, let's just run at people. They yeah. expect us to hit them in the mouth. Let's not disappoint them. Hit them in the mouth, yeah. and then it opens up everything else. Yeah, run a damn wedge play, man. <laughs> they don't let you run that on, the, on kickoffs anymore, but you can run it in a real regular play, you know. <laughs> uh, yeah, but, you know, that's the big on big. You got the big, you got the advantage in physicality. Yeah. Use it. You know, you don't why play finesse when you can be physical. But you dude, know, and that's what yeah. the, those guys like that better. Think about it on, on uh Travion 68 yard, you know, he finally broke out against Penn State there, you know, in the second half. That 68 yard run was right up the middle because they just ran right at those guys. They didn't try to get cute. And uh, you're exactly right. And then Saturday, this is what bothered me this past Saturday was uh uh they had something going finally in the running game when they were had that drive to try to run out the clock. And then all of a sudden, they run a pass play. I mean, they they literally had North, uh, Nebraska on its heels, and then suddenly they call another pass play. You know, Randay has a lot of plays at his disposal, and uh, and uh, you saw C.J. Stroud get stripped of the ball. They're lucky Luke yeah. Whipler fell on it, and then they were able to at least get back in position to kick one more field goal and pretty much ice the game there with a with a nine point lead. But oh my god, yeah, goodness, you don't put I'm your not. defense under duress. Like, okay, just don't you know, just don't let them score a touchdown. Right. You know, oh, now we got a two-score lead. Wow. Okay. Right. Yeah. You know, that was a big play by Luke Whipper. Very big play. Yes. Yes. You know? Definitely. But that goes back to why are we even throwing the ball? And like I said, Ryan Day had a bad – that's part of his bad day. <laughs> and I'm yeah. sure, yeah. you know, that's the exception, not the rule. Yeah. And uh, – but it goes back to having confidence, you know, in, in, in setting your identity and your goals of who you are during offseason. This is where it pays dividends now. Yeah. You know, you put on that work. And we have the wherewithal. And I'm glad we're having this conversation after win. You know, yeah. the, the, you know, it'd be a lot tougher to have this conversation if Ohio State would have stubbed the toe against Penn State or against, you know, Nebraska. We're like, man, shoulda, woulda, coulda. You know, we threw for 400 yards, and yet we let that one get away. Okay. 
Yeah. This is what film study is all about. And, um, you know, the guys, they can, you know, use this as a, as a learning lesson and, and move on, you know, to next week. I did something that C.J. Stroud said. It's almost like March Madness. Well, the football, the college football season is March Madness. You, you, you know, it's yes. NFL. It's a long 17-game season. It's a, it's a marathon, not a sprint. College football, it is a sprint. Yeah. Every game matters because it's not like you're going to get to play all these different conferences throughout the season. You know, you, you only got your, your you know, your, uh, your 12 games. That's on your schedule. Every one of them matters. So it is a sprint. So now, yes, we stubbed our toe in week two. But if you want to go to college football playoffs, I don't think there's ever going to be a time where it's going to be a two-loss team that gets in there and you don't want to hope to rely. So yeah. if Ohio State wants to be in the playoffs, the playoffs have started in week three. <laughs> yeah. They have to just keep worrying so much about rankings right now. Um, and I come out you know, after, you know, come, come today on Tuesday when the final rankings come out, um, and not to find with this this particular week's rankings coming, I believe Ohio State would be in position. It'd be one of the four, but it, that doesn't mean nothing now. Yeah, that second week of December, first week of December, when that's the one you want to be, in, you know, in one of the four teams with a chance, you know, yeah. to be there. Yeah, and then you know, I, you know, I think you know that you you believe this too. Ohio State wins out; it's going to get to the college football playoff if it wins out. I mean, yeah. it, that would mean winning the Big Ten championship and knocking down these teams in front of them. But I want to. I want to get to, you, to this with you, you know. 1984 was the first year I covered Ohio State football. And as I told you before we started this, uh, <laughs> the first loss I ever covered in Ohio State – covering Ohio State football as a beat writer uh, was at Purdue. Uh, that What was that, 28-23 loss you guys suffered over there? A game that definitely we rehashed the next week over and over because that was a game y'all kind of let slip through your fingertips, you know, your fingers yeah. uh, a couple of times. Uh, and it included – the ignominy of a of a, a frantic uh, last second drive by you guys, where things got discombobulated, and Mike Tomzak threw the ball out of bounds to stop the clock on fourth down. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, yeah, we thought it was third down. It was uh, you know the yardage marker was you know kind of slow to move it to fourth. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like is it third down? It was still third down. You know, and I, I knew it was fourth down, and I tried I yelled at Mike, but it was too late. Yeah, like, no. And, but but and if you remember, that happens. But you remember, you guys, uh, in the it, what set that up really was y'all had a play. I think you caught a ball to the right sideline, if I remember correctly, and uh, there was an unsportsmanlike conduct penalty called on both teams because uh, the guy that came over to try to tackle you, I think it was you. It might have been uh, Wilders, but I think it was you. But anyway, you got you got knocked out of bounds. That guy got knocked out of bounds. He did something. Somebody else did something, and they marked off 15 yards against them. And that set the, the that set the uh, line of scrimmage. And they marked off 15 yards against you guys. And so, really, what you had was a first and 25. You do you remember any yeah. of that? Uh, it, it was crazy. Yeah, because I mean, if I'm not mistaken, Chris Carter got kicked out of that game too uh, for for uh, something that should not have happened. I don't think I, I disagree with Chris getting kicked out, but it was him and the, and the defensive back from Purdue got into it. I'm like, what do you mean ejection? This is crazy. Yeah, you know, but yeah. Yeah, I, but, but I don't he, remember yeah. all those particular, but I do remember that now that you said it was first and 25. Yeah. With a first down. Mm. Yeah, and you caught a ball on, I think, third down. It was short of the first down. And Mike might have thought, because the clock kept running, because you got you got tackled inbounds, I think it was. One of the few times you ever got tackled that year. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
as I like That's to say. Awful. Yeah, but yeah. anyway, but I think Mike probably thought y'all had a first down, you know, or you did the did the did the thing flip, you know? Who knows? But I wanted to ask you this. This is what I'm leaning to. Man, Purdue a couple of times has really stirred the pot against Ohio State, and uh, you know everybody remembers uh, three three years ago, three or four years ago over at Purdue when they had that Rondell Moore and uh, they had that great just upset victory of Ohio State. I think you guys were number two in the country when they yeah. beat y'all that year. Sports uh, Illustrated had us number one, but yeah. it was number two in some of those oh, yeah. polls. Oh yeah. yeah, I mean seriously, that was a great football team. Uh, we've already said that, though. We 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 prefaced with that. Jim Everett, Rod Woodson. <laughs> oh, yeah. Trickman, they had some talent. Oh, yeah. yeah. But I'm talking about you guys. It was a great football team. I mean, talk about some talent. But uh, oh. but what is it – can a game be a trap game? Because we're going to be talking about this all week because Purdue's coming off upsetting Mich- Michigan State. You know, Michigan State was previously undefeated and uh, number three in the – college football playoff rankings, the first college playoff rankings, and really kind of stumped them over there last week. I know you're aware of right. that, but can a game be a trap game if everybody's telling you, hey, look out, that's a trap game? <laughs> yeah, it can be. It can be. You remember who you're dealing with. You're dealing with 18 to 22-year-olds for the most part. And as much as Mel Tucker was telling this party, Purdue, they've already beat one top-ranked team, Yeah, you know, they're coming after you. But we just beat Michigan. You know, his message, as hard as he tried, it just did not get through to them. And they came out, you know, flat against Purdue this past Saturday. And then they thought, okay, now we got it back 7-7. Things, you know, we're going we're gonna to try to run through. Wait a minute. When they're, you know, Purdue kept on punching at them yep. all game long. And the time ran out before Michigan State could get back in it. But they got outplayed. So, Coach Day, he's got that same job. You know, that Mel Tucker just had – and I think they're not coming off their best game of the season the last couple of weeks. And and some of those guys on the Ohio State roster remembers 2018, you know. Yeah. <laughs> you know so I don't think Coach Day's going to have any problem getting Ohio State players' attention this particular week of how important this is. And you, we want to meet our goals. Purdue is, step, is standing in our way. This team is hungry. Purdue is hungry. They – if, if they they already they have more wins than anybody in the country against top with top four teams they beat yeah. the number two team in the country number three team in the country hey I don't know where uh, I, I didn't get a chance to see where Ohio State is at yet but Ohio State's going to be one of the top five teams at least yeah. in the country they're, they're coming after you and, and that's a heck of a resume you know for a Purdue who still has mathematically a chance to win the Big Ten West yeah oh yeah you know so yeah. Um, some of their goals are still in front of them as well. And so it's it's going to be, you know, some kind of game um, this Saturday. I, I'm going to be in the stadium, you know, uh, watching. So I don't have to worry about watching on TV this week. I'm going to watch it live. And, you know, I'm expecting, you know, perfect world for me. Ohio State wins the game, number one. Number two, win it convincingly. And then number three, get some payback for 2018. Don't ease up off the, off the gas. Yeah. <laughs> Try to put yeah. 50 or 50 on the board. Yeah. <laughs> you know. But it- it is funny how this gauntlet, I mean, uh, this gauntlet just ramped up as Ohio as this season went along because Nebraska, as I pointed out in a tweet, you know, they had not lost by more than eight points uh, going into that game the other day, and they included games against Oklahoma. That's really you know? unusual with six losses, and you don't have any losses yeah. by seven. Yeah. You don't get blown out, none of them. Ooh. Yeah. So Ohio State, blew, Ohio State blows them out by nine. <laughs> yes. But, 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 but that's the point. Coach Day last week, I'm sure he was having that same conversation. Oh, yeah. 
This is the best six loss team in the country. Yeah. And, the, and the, the message didn't sink in with Ohio State player where they got six losses. They're not that good, coach. You know, and then they got out there this past Saturday. They are that good, coach. That yeah. defense is pretty aggressive. Though. They make plays. Yeah. All, their receivers can get open and, and, and break a tackle and score at any fair place on the field. Now you got their attention. So yeah. Yeah. after two weeks, you know, I know he had Coach Day didn't have any problem. We knew who Penn State was. Even though Penn State had a tough loss, you know, against Illinois, again, they stepped in a trap against Illinois before to Ohio State. You know, Michigan yeah. State, you know, stepped in the trap because they got relaxed after beating Michigan. This is a heck of a Big Ten season. It's far from over. We got three weeks to go. It is far from over. Yeah. I mean, Illinois beats Minnesota. Are you kidding me? You know? I mean, this past week, nobody, you know, Illinois has been that spoiler all year. You know, I mean, in some form yeah, of on the road, they went into yeah. Minnesota with them. Yeah, <laughs> don't play Purdue and don't play Illinois, and you'll be all right. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> hey, Keith. Hey, last thing, man. Well, uh, uh, you know, you. I don't want to blow smoke. I don't want want this to sound like I'm blowing smoke. You know, you know where. Uh, but uh, <laughs> do you think you have any shot? at the Pro Football Hall of Fame. But just what's your thought on that? When you when you look at your career in, in the NFL, it was 13 years, you were one of those players who kind of changed the game, in my opinion. I mean, that H-back kind of like utility kind of dude. I mean, you know, you ran right. for over 3,000 yards, but you caught passes for over 6,000. You were a hell of a blocker at the point of attack or, you know, I mean, you, you know, I'm not trying to, you know, get your hopes up because I no, know no, no. you're a realistic guy, but what, what do you think about that, man? Well, you know, that's a good question. It's a good question, number one. Uh, when I every year doing the Hall of Fame nominations and then the final ballot and they announced who made the Hall of Fame, I sit around, and, you know, with some of my different football players from my era and things, and we laugh and joke. And I'm like, and the, and the consensus is, I'm like, man, you know what? I don't know what a Hall of Fame is. Yeah. And I said, why? I mean, I said, reason why I don't know what a Hall of Famer is in the NFL is too many different variables, too many different type of voters. And, you know, what people are calling great, I don't necessarily, I'm not going to name names. I'm like, that guy's not a Hall of Famer. I mean, then guys that aren't in the Hall of Fame, he's certainly a Hall of Famer. And, and it's a lot of politics come in. So the long and short of that answer, I think I might go in the Hall of Fame in the National Football League when, when the, when the, Attitude changes. Right now, there's, I think it's only uh, one fullback in, Larry Zonka. Yeah. You know, it's not, or, or, you know, that, it's not too many fullbacks. And Larry Zonka was the fullback, but he really was the main ball carrier. Yeah. So, it, it also, when, when they start to, you know, put in players, then, and, uh, you know, sir, maybe stop, the senior stop, committee you broke, recommend. Broke up right there. Broke up right there. You said when they start to put in what? When they start to put in when what? they start when they start to put in non-traditional, you yeah. know, uh, players, then I might make it. I remember during my playing career, you know, players are coming to Keith. I wanted to vote for you for the Pro Bowl, you know, but I didn't know where to vote for you at. Yeah, you, you know, you're you're not a traditional running back because you know who went when doing out my air, the four guys from four running backs from every conference went to the Pro Bowl. Yeah. And they went, well, who was who was, a, who was a Russian? It was the AFC Russian leader or the NFC Russian leader. And they just went, who was second? Who was third? Who was fourth? Okay, we got them. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, so very seldom did somebody out of the top four make it to the Pro Bowl. And then they started to put in uh, special teamers. Well, I wasn't a special team player, so then they got to go. And then they finally added the fullback. Then I went. 
you yeah. know, they didn't put the fullback in a Pro Bowl until my eighth year in the league. I'm like, how many Pro Bowls did I miss out on? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, be, because of that. And now, like you said, that, that position I played, I'm still – the closest person that came to do what I was doing was Aaron Hernandez with the uh, New England Patriots. Because they would put him in the backfield every blue moon and run, let him run the football. Yeah. But nobody would line up, at, you know, when I broke the huddle and knew exactly where I was going. Yeah. You know, nobody's done that, you know, since. I mean, I played fullback. I played tailback. I played tight end. I played slot receiver. I played outside receiver. You know, I would, you know, we go to four wides. I'm the fourth receiver. We go to three wides. I'm the third receiver. You know, we go to two tights. I'm the second tight end. And, you know, we had, I had a lot of, you know, success that way, you know, throughout my career. And you never knew where I was going to be. And uh, so now what they call a hybrid player, I was like, yeah, but these are the, you know, he's not quite, I understand what they're saying. He's an H-back, but he's never going to be in the backfield carrying the football. You know, he's going to be a lead blocker. He's almost be like a fullback. But so when yeah. me to go in the Hall of Fame, they first got to start putting fullbacks in. You know, and so if, so somebody like myself, you know, Mike Allstott, you know, Moose Johnson, you know, Daryl Johnson uh, for the Cowboys, when they yeah. start putting that era of in, because I'm like, if one of those guys going before me, I'm having problems. Yeah. So like, yeah, uh, then I'm like, wait a minute, hold on. <laughs> yeah. You know, so, but like I said, originally, I don't know what an NFL Hall of Fame is because it, it, it is constantly changing. I remember uh, I was in a de- debate with uh, Gary Myers from the New York Daily News, used to be on HBO. And I said, Gary, you vote for the Hall of Fame. I said, my problem is you don't wait until a player's career is over with and evaluate his whole career and then decide whether or not he's a Hall of Famer. He said, yeah, I do. I said, no, you do not. Because I hear you write and talk about players and they're only in their third and fourth year of their career and you already have them in a the Hall of Fame. So, and then another player who you didn't say this about his first four or five years in his career, and then he goes on to play eight or nine or 10, 11 years, and then because you didn't deem him as a Hall of Famer early, you didn't, you know, he doesn't get consideration later instead of just letting the player's career play out and then say yes. I mean, this particular week I was reading about Odell Beckham when he got traded, when he got released from the Cleveland Browns, and they were saying he was – headed to the Hall of Fame when he was with the New York Giants. Yeah. And I was like, what? <laughs> that, you know, the worst thing that happened to Odell Beckham, he made that great catch with the New York Giants against the Dallas Cowboys on Monday Night Football. Yeah. Up until that point, his career was on an upward arc. And now all of a sudden he thought, I'm the greatest receiver of all time and I deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. And I'm like, why y'all keep calling this guy a superstar? The numbers and the, and the attitude and the play is not matching up what I deem a Hall of Famer. One other comment on that. A few years, be, uh, well, not long, well, a couple years before he passed away, great defense alignment for the uh, Pittsburgh Steelers. I was at an uh, appearance with him, L.C. Greenwood. Yeah. And I asked L.C., I said, L.C., why aren't you in the Hall of Fame? You was you had a Hall of Fame career. You were Pro Bowls, Super Bowl championships, and everything else. Why aren't you in the Hall of Fame? And he said, Keith, the year I was a finalist, I didn't go in the Hall of Fame, and they put in a kicker. They put Jan Stenerud in. And I was like, they said, well, they said, Elsie, just be patient. We got too many Steelers in the Hall of Fame right now. Yeah. You just got to wait. And I'm, he's like, either I am or I'm not. What, 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 kind of, what does that mean, too many Steelers in the Hall of Fame? What, what, what does that have to do with how good I was? 
So now you see a you play for in that time you play, you got a greater opportunity, you know, to make it. Now, I think it's a travesty of justice that Cincinnati Bengals only have one player that's in the Hall of Fame. If, you know, how did the Cincinnati, all the great players that went in and out of Cincinnati, I'm not a Bengal fan or anything else, but I'm fair. How is Anthony Munoz the only Bingo Hall of Famer? Yeah. Ken Riley has the second most interceptions in NFL, in NFL history, 65 interceptions at right. a time when teams weren't throwing the ball 40 times a game. Yeah. yeah. How is he not in the Hall of Fame? Yeah. I just don't understand. Rattler. Yeah, you know, yeah. I, it's just uh, r- ridiculous to me. Yeah. And uh, and then I, I talk to Hall of, you know, different writers like yourself. Do you have a vote, Tim? No. Hall of Fame? No, I don't. But I, I would say, you know, when I asked the definition of what a Hall of Famer is, and I said my definition of a Hall of Famer is a great player who was dominant at his position, you know, during his era. Yes. And what I said earlier to you, it's, the stats don't tell the whole story. And, you know, that only tells half the story. And how he played determines how great he is. And a lot of times when I have a discussion with people who have votes for the Hall of Fame, they'll talk about what his, how many Super Bowl rings this guy has. Right. And I wait a minute. Don't talk to me about Super Bowl rings. That's a team award. You know, uh, Hall of Fame is not a team award. That's an individual award. So when you see an offensive lineman go in the Hall of Fame, like let's say a guard or a center makes it to the Hall of Fame. I said, do y'all actually watch this guard or center every week, week in or week out? You don't never write about him. And then it's like to be a popularity vote on why that particular guard or center made it to the Hall of Fame. Yeah. And I like, but you don't hear to come uh, on Monday after after the games on Saturday on Sunday. You never talk about that right guard was dominating this minute. You guys see the right guard for the Cleveland Browns do this that nobody talks about it. But right. you talk about if the tackle gave up four sacks, or you know talk about sacks. Oh, and then they uh, so they don't. So the the writers themselves don't know how good an offensive lineman is. You know, there is of course they can talk about a tackle as long as he's not giving up sacks, and everybody talks about how good he is. And, I tell you, I mean, you see an Orlando Pace. Yeah, he's pretty special. <laughs> yeah, he deserves yeah. to be in a Hall of Fame. Yeah. But even when Orlando played, you wouldn't talk about him on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday about how great a game he had on Sunday. So it gets to almost be, you know, guys aren't doing their whole research on actually watching a game and when you're voting, having an educated vote on what it is. And then the popularity, if I like this guy, if I don't like him, he's not going to get my vote. He was always nice and kind and gave me interviews. He's a good guy. I'm, I'm going to give him my vote. Yeah, yeah. What does that have to do with what the person did between the white lines? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> don't understand. So exactly. that's why I say I really don't know what a Hall of Fame is. Yeah, but it's a good but, question, and I, I love to have that, that discussion with you. But no, real quick though, it's really I didn't know I didn't I didn't even know we'd go that long on that because I really, <laughs> I mean, no, you you were you're basically talking right down my alley there. But I I look at that mean that steel curtain defense. You know, you're talking about with LC Greenwood, without LC Greenwood, Mean Joe Green, you know. I think those guys, you know what I mean? They they set the they made everybody else better. I mean, I really do think there are work there are uh uh what do you want to call it? wheel horses on on lines that make everybody else better. I thought Orlando Pace made that whole offense better. You could see it, you know, but you've got to appreciate oh, yeah. it. And what drives me nuts, really, the whole time I've been a sports writer is most of the time the postseason all-American teams, the linemen, for the most part, are the same guys you voted that were voted preseason All-American linemen, if you follow my drift. So it's <laughs> sure. like you said, 
who the hell watches the linemen, right? You know, but the, but like right now, you're watching Ohio State, and you're seeing some guys come come of age. You know, I mean, uh, like that Tyreek Williams kid, number ninety one, he's freshman on Ohio State defensive line. Nobody can block him. He's not getting to play as much as as maybe he should. But then you're seeing the, the defensive ends really cut Tyreek Smith and uh, no, Harrison really coming on like you thought they would play at the beginning of the year, you know. And and uh, but if you just remember them from like a certain game earlier, you know, because how many times, like you said, do you do you notice an offensive lineman? You notice defensive lineman if they make a sack, you know. Uh, sure. Right. That's what I told Nick Bosa one time. I said, you guys only got to make one or two sacks a game. Everybody, everybody thought you had a great day. You had a day. great day. Yeah. <laughs> How many times you lose contain? Yeah. How many times you, didn't, you let the running back get into your gap? Yeah, you know? exactly. But like on the Ohio State offense line, the left tackle, Nick Petit Perret, having a heck of a year. Yeah. He switched from right tackle to left tackle. No, yeah, nobody talks about how good. He's playing yeah. how often do we hear his name on yeah. Saturdays for holding all sides. Hardly ever. Yeah. He's a great kid and having a heck of a year. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW group. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I don't don't know how it's all going to end for those guys. But like I said, it it gets to be a popularity contest. Yeah. To a certain degree on certain positions. I mean, and then other guys, you know. Like, uh, for example, when when with the All American this year, uh, will Ohio State receiver make All American? Yeah, or yeah. would two of them make it? Or well, I don't, I don't know. I, yeah. But when you watch Ohio State receivers, <laughs> you're like, well, who's playing better than these guys? Being a complete receiver, they block, they catch the ball, they get yards after the catch, <laughs> you know. But then it gets to be a popularity contest. Well, who's the one receiver at Alabama? Who's yeah. a receiver at this school? Who's a defensive back at this school? We, you know, they they, they got to have another guy that we got to, you know, we got to push. Like LSU had defensive backs three or four years in a row that yeah. they got to make sure they make all Americans. Hey, Keith, the funny thing about it is Ohio State's got Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, who didn't get to play on Saturday, we think, because of concussion protocol. You know, we maybe we'll find out more. But then Jackson Smith and Jigba, all he did was catch 15 balls <laughs> the most in Ohio State history in a game. But then Alabama's basically their biggest threat is a guy that was in that Ohio State receiver room a year ago, Jameson Williams. Yes. I mean, you know, wow, what an era or what a moment in time for Ohio State produced receivers. But I want to tell you this, the main reason, before we go, the main reason I think you deserve a spot possibly in the Hall of Fame is because you changed the game. Coaches were smart enough to understand your, you understand your utility. You understand what I'm saying? Right. And, that changed things. Then, like I said, when Mike Vrabel, when he ended up going from the Steelers to the uh, Patriots, the Patriots yeah. he was a man without a position. 
Bill Belichick figured out a way to how to play Mike Vrabel, and then suddenly everybody was looking for the next Mike Vrabel. You know, <laughs> you know but everybody <laughs> started looking for the next Keith Byers. I mean, they really did. You I know, mean, you know, that's a good point. When I when I went to New England, when Bill Parcells was the head coach and Belichick was defense coordinator, first thing Belichick, I mean, uh, Parcells told me. I need you to do for me what you did against me all those years in Philly. Yeah. <laughs> he said, yeah. I need you. That's why I need you here in, in, in New England. Bring your leadership and your playmaking ability to these Patriots and help us, you know, change the culture around here. So I was part of those seeds of the Patriots' success today. You know, Super Bowl 31, you know, I get there in 96. That was a Patriots, you know, first Super Bowl in, what, 10, 11 years. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, and, yeah. That, and, and that foundation that we laid in 96 is still prevalent you know, 25 years later, you yes. know, and Belichick was part of the foundation of like, let's change the culture around here in New England. And I was a part of that. And uh, so New England's success, I always, I, that's, you know, one of my homes too. I feel, you know, comfortable with them because that's what Parcells told me. I need that. Bring that here. Yeah. <laughs> and then they started bringing in other, like the Vrabel, you know, a few years, you know, after me. And when you go to New England and you say, this is the Patriot way, that is the Patriot way being adaptable, being able to win, and it's about the team and not about the individual. You know, individuals have individual success, but the team is the most important thing. We win together as a team. It's about being a football player, you know. You know, that, and yes. the funny thing, you know, I, that's why I've always thought, even though coaches can have their own biases, who watches more video of football players than coaches? You know what I mean? Maybe mm-hmm. they should have more of a say in Hall of Fame, but, you know, uh, some of those guys coach until they can't stand up anymore, and then they move on. You know what I mean? But uh, yeah, but I would like to see the Hall of Fame have the media gets X amount of players in the Hall of Fame, and then the yeah. former players and coaches they get you know two or three players a year who they want to vote in, and then because no, going to be a perfect marriage. But right now it's imperfect. But only the media votes for a Hall of Famer, yeah. and I think the former players you know ought to get a vote, especially if you play you know within you know, 20 years of a guy, you know. So, for yes. example, if I played in the 80s, I get to vote on guys that played in the 70s and the guys who played in the 90s, yeah. <laughs> you know, maybe even early 2000s. You know, uh, you know that's, you know, because you, it's, it's hard to ask a guy who last play, played was 1975 to vote for a guy whose last game was in 2015. You know, that's a little different era. But yeah. if you play within 10 or 20, 10 years either way, that's pretty much the same era. I define an era you know, by 25 years, yeah. you know, to 10 years, 10, 12 years in front of you, 10, 12 years after you, you know, that's kind of, you guys are pretty much, you know, in the same era. And last thing, speaking of errors, a couple of years ago, uh, when the NFL celebrated their hundred year anniversary. And, you know, I said, I, I defined an error by 25 years. And I said, what was the best 25 year period of the NFL? Which and I said, for me, 1970 to 1995 was the mm-hmm. best the NFL ever been. That era of all the players that played in that few that period, that group of players was probably the best <laughs> of the best of that whole hundred year period. Because you look at that 25 year period. Of course, there's a couple of outliers like Jim Brown didn't play at that time. Yeah, you know, Bart Starr, but all the cow, all the all the uh, the great the greatest. Cowboys played in that era. Yeah. Same with the Steelers, the Miami Dolphins, the San Francisco 49ers, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, you brought in a whole lot of different defenses at that time, 46 defense, you, you know, uh, yeah. the shotgun uh, 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 the offense, 
spread defense, spread, I mean, spread offense, a whole bunch of different variety of offenses and defenses changed during that 25-year period that we still are feasting, you know, on today. It was, quote, unquote, real football. <laughs> yes. You know, guys getting tackled, you know, to the ground, or whatever, pushing you out of bounds. And it was more of a physical game. I mean, Tom Brady, God bless him, he had a great career. There's no way Tom Brady is playing in 43, 44 years old under our rules that we had between 1970 and 1995. His body wouldn't allow him, you yeah. know, to, to be able to take that much contact. You know, when he releases the ball and a defender is two steps away, he can still get a hit on the quarterback from as long as you don't grab his face mask. <laughs> yeah. You know, now you can't hit a quarterback above the shoulder pads or below the thigh pad. But I want to tell you something. They had to fix that because, man, you're right. Turkey, I mean, I just think about all these guys who used to just tee off. I'm surprised quarterbacks got up, I mean, back then. I think you agree with me, don't you? I mean, you're standing there. You're a sitting Well, that was still unnecessary roughness even then. In those days, that's that. You know, that that wasn't a legal play with Joe Turkey, though. That was still wrong in any era. Oh, yeah. But I think intimidation has to be a part of football. Yeah. You know, and, gotcha. and with the rules, so for the most part, they take intimidation away. You know, when you catch a ball across the middle, there's a price to be paid. You know, whether you're the offensive player, hey, I'm not respecting your price, and that's why I can come here and catch the ball and take the hit and get up and do it again. And now, you sure you want to hit me again? Or you get the other guy, we call him alligator arms, guy the receiver, good speed, they don't want to reach out and catch that ball. That's part of intimidation. That's yeah. the game. You yeah. know, the same thing, you know, in baseball. You know, when you throw an inside pitch to a batter, you're going to automatically warm both dugouts. Like, wait a minute, give the other dugout a chance. And if I know if I'm up the bat and you're not going to pitch me inside or you're not going to throw me down the middle or outside corner, yes, I, I should hit it for a better average. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, yeah. Where yeah. the pitcher can't intimidate you back off the plate. You're a little too close. You know. Hey, uh, hey let me yeah. – man, we could talk for four hours here, but I don't have that much time. But I do say that. You know, just think though, in hockey, you can still have a fist fight with a guy right in the middle of the right in the middle of the rink. You know, <laughs> imagine if you'd let that happen in football. You know what I mean? I mean, yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness! I mean, can you? I mean, talk about we don't numbers. have that, but just let us, you know, be physical back with you. Yeah. You know how how are you a defenseless receiver? And I'm an offensive guy. How are you a defenseless receiver and you have the football? Protect yourself. Yeah. And as a defender, why would you lower your head? See what you hit. Yeah. You know, because that's when the majority of injuries happen when you're lowering your head. Yeah. See what you hit. So yeah. that goes back to teaching how to play football the right way. And it's a physical game. When you see, you put your face in there and blow your neck, you're not going to get as hurt nowhere near as much as you are when you duck your head and yeah. expose your spinal column. Yeah. You know, that comes back to being, then comes back to being physical, come back, learning how to play the game the right way. And a lot of guys are, you know, fake tough guys. You know, yeah, you, you, you're not that tough. You don't want to take on this running back, square it up. You know, but he's not looking, then you want to, you know, tee off. But, it, it, you know, that's you know, that was one of the things that worked in my favor, being a big guy, being a big running back. I knew defensive backs where they were going to go. You yeah. know, how often are you going to you know, try to take me up high? You know, advantage me. And sorry, you know, you should have – don't blame I mean, when I got to the Eagles, Herman Edwards was uh, still – he was the corner. You know, he got released later on that training camp. But Hermit was telling me, man, your big behind come around this corner. If you ain't limping, I'm not tackling you. <laughs> That's my job. He said, that front seven, if you ain't stumbling, bumbling, come around that corner, I'm not about to get you. I started laughing. I said, Herman, you silly. Like, oh, man, oh, that ain't man. my job. I'm, I'm supposed to tackle wide receivers, yeah. not four-speed running backs. <laughs> yeah. Hey, there's a reason. 
And there's a reason why they put big guys on the lines, you know, because they're yes. intimidating if they're on the if they're on the move. I mean, no, you're exactly right. I mean, without a doubt. I mean, uh, you know, they're they're just, you know, they're just trying to find a way for football to survive, you know, in this lit- litigious uh, and also uh, yeah. medically more astute uh, era, man. And oh, I'm all about I give it up to them on that. Game, but you don't know? add 17 games yeah. to the season and say we we care about player safety. Yeah, exactly. You, you know, no, yeah. don't do that because it's it's about money more over safety. But you know, I, I'm all about protecting the players, but I still want to see the purity of the game. Yeah, you know, whenever you're allowing a guy on both sides of the ball to get a good, clean, hard hit, and that's okay. I mean, yeah. it's not my fault that you don't. You know, everybody you taught early keep your head on the swivel. So if, if, if a running back or offensive player cracked back on a block and he didn't, you know, he didn't clip him, why is that a penalty? Yeah. Because you didn't see me. You, yeah. That's not my fault. You don't have, you're not having any awareness. Yeah. <laughs> it's an aircraft carrier out here. You know what I mean? Aircraft yeah. carrier deck. Keep your head on the swivel. Uh, yes, we to. <laughs> before we go, give me one quick answer to this. Uh, and I appreciate, by the way, you have a, you have a, you have a show every, Every week, a couple of shows every week on what? W-I-N-G? Where we give, give, give people some background where you are now. Huh? So I'm wing, wing AM here in Denton, yeah. Ohio. 1460 W-I-N-G, uh, uh, Wing AM, the ESPN affiliate here in Dayton. So I do a keep by show every Monday uh, from 12 to 1. And then every Sunday uh, during the football season from 1130 to 1, I do a Buckeye postgame wrap-up and a preview of the Bingos, Browns, and whole NFL action every Sunday here live in Dayton, Ohio. Frickers. Sweet. Uh, restaurant and then during the, well, the high school football season is they're still in the playoffs but during the regular season uh, I do color uh, I do game of the week uh, for 1410 ESPN every Friday night uh, I'm a football lifer so I love watching high school football on yeah. Friday yeah. college football on Saturday and pro on Sunday and Monday so I love football it's going to be a part of my life forever Dayton Roth, where do you what do you guys do when it comes to a homecoming y'all don't have a school anymore I mean what do you uh, no. where do you go we just have gatherings throughout the year. I mean, this past March, we celebrated Dayton Roth High School, celebrated our 1981 uh, state championship uh, in basketball. Yeah. And uh, so everybody came back, you know, who was still with us. Uh, one teammate deceased and the head coach is gone, but everybody else, we got together and it was a big old love fest. And then I was teasing them. I said, guess what, guys? I get to come back next year. Because I went back to back. You guys graduated. So I'm <laughs> back here next year in 2022, celebrating another state championship. they like, ah. So it was fun. So we get together at a cookout this summer also. So the uh, uh, Falcons are still here. No building, no high school, but the, the Dayton Roth spirit is alive and well kicking here in Dayton Ohio. Yeah. Can't, you, can't, you can't get rid of what's in your heart, right? I mean, that's, that's the right. deal. Yeah. Hey. Yeah, I'm a diehard Roth Falcon in high school. 100% Buckeye for life, and I'm an NFL player. You know, hey. Eagles, Patriots, Dolphins, Jets. Yeah, I was going to say, you got all kinds of reunions you can go to. Yes. <laughs> hey, hey, Keith, I want to ask one last thing, and just give me a quick answer if you feel like it. The most impressive player to you on the Ohio State football team to now, and by impressive, I don't necessarily mean the most stats, whatever. What's a, Who's a guy that of late has jumped out to you that could be a difference maker down the stretch? Ooh. Oh my God. Either side of the ball. Um, Chris Olave. Yeah, you, you know, I think we don't feature him nowhere near as much. But in my opinion, he's the best. And I, and I said earlier, I don't like to get into the best and all that stuff. But he's the best route runner Ohio State's ever had. 
Wow. You know, as a wide receiver. I didn't say he was the best receiver yeah. Ohio State ever had. But the whole route tree, I, I haven't seen a running back, I mean, a wide receiver run better routes from a comeback to a slant to a go route, the post route, better than Chris Olave. And, you know, we need to isolate him more in one-on-one situations because if he's one-on-one, he's going to win nine out of ten. Yeah. I mean, for the one mistake against Clemson on a miscommunication with him and Justin Fields, I think we had another national championship. Yeah, because we now like throw the ball to him. <laughs> Just a little miscommunication, but Chris Olave is very, very special. Gotcha. Hey, Keith Byers, thanks once again for joining the Tim May Podcast. I, I can't wait till I get to be on the Keith, Keith Byers show one of these days, man. Well, I'm going to get you on. I promise I'll get you on. Hey, <laughs> but man, I soon. appreciate it, Keith. You know that, man. All right, appreciate it, <laughs> I Tim, anytime. Yes, that was a long interview with uh, Keith Byers, ladies and gentlemen. It was definitely worth it. Sorry about a couple of the uh, audio quality uh, moments of dropouts. But, you know, when you're when you're relying on technology, sometimes even technology gives you a little bit of a, a backseat. But uh, but awesome. It's always great to have these former Buckeyes on, especially of repute, uh, the, the sort of Keith Byers, right? Yeah, one of the all-time greats, as you said. And it's um, on that list of maybe uh, top five uh, college football players of all time who um, maybe got shortchanged in that Heisman race. Uh, yeah. Hard to hard to relitigate all that stuff, but he, he's certainly getting that Hall of Fame nod does validate that a little bit. He's he's recognized as one of the better players to ever put on that uniform for Ohio State. Yes, absolutely. But it's a long list of Ohio State Hall of Famers, college football Hall of Famers. It we are covering quite the program, right? <laughs> it's a yeah, it's a blast every day, and it uh, we're lucky to be able to do it and um, follow along with the the soap opera and drama and. A bunch of wins along the way. Hey, here's what we know for sure going into Saturday's game with with Purdue. Uh, Purdue is going to come in throwing the ball. They may run a little bit just to keep everybody all on their toes. They're going to come in throwing the ball just like they did against Michigan State. I think over 500 yards passing by O'Connell. And uh, and as I tweeted, uh, you know, somebody better cover David Bell, man. You're not going to probably shut him out, but you gotta you gotta bring some uh, you know you gotta bring some blunt force there occasionally. I mean, because this guy is the real deal. Think about what we're going to see on Saturday. We're going to see David Bell and a couple other really pretty good receivers for Purdue. And we're going to see Chris Olave. Probably Garrett Wilson will be back after having missed last week's game, as, as you reported. And, uh, you know, uh, do believe he was dealing with some uh, concussion protocol there. Uh, and then Jackson Smith and Jigba, all he did this past weekend was catch a school record 15 passes for 240 yards. And ironically, that 240 yards matches David Bell. David Bell's 240, which were the top for the fifth most yards in a single game receiving in that in uh, in the nation in college football this year. So, you know, wow, did Jackson Smith and Jigba have a day? But man, you you just get get the idea going into this that the ball's going to be flying in, in Ohio Stadium on Saturday. Yeah, that's what these teams uh, have done best, especially the last couple of weeks as Ohio State's uh, been reeling a little bit with the rushing attack. And it certainly helps if you're Ryan Day to, to have that complement of wide receivers if you can't, if you're having some issues on the ground. But um, at some point, uh, you know, Ohio State will want to address that, uh, need to address that. Uh, it's, it's creating some issues in the red zone, obviously, for them. But both teams can are more than capable of airing it out and making it look good. And uh, it, it should be a fun one. I, I think that the more than anything, when you talk about stopping David Bell, it, obviously Denzel Burke will be key to that, Cameron Brown. But 
it all starts. I don't Purdue, you know, are they going to be able to protect? Are they going to be allowed to hold Tyreek Smith and Zach Harrison and Pascal Garrett and Jack Sawyer and Javante Jean-Baptiste? Because if they are, well, there might be a lot of points scored. Uh, if they're not, I think, you know, that clock speeds up. You don't have to cover Bell as long, and then Purdue might run into some issues. So that, that to me, still starts up front uh, in this matchup for Ohio State. It's amazing. I thought Ohio State had another good day from its defensive front uh, at Nebraska. Uh, Nebraska misses two field goals in that game, or it's a much closer game than even it looked, than even it turned out to be. And uh, but uh, uh, you, in other words, you think you think this defense is ready for an all-out assault, an all-out aerial assault. Obviously, Sean Clifford threw more than fifty passes, so they've already withstood one of those. Uh, and he had, in my opinion, is as good a receiver as there is in the Big Ten this year in Jahan Dotson. He's right up there with Olave and uh, Garrett Wilson, Jackson Fifth and Jigba and David Bell, in my opinion, in, in terms of pure talent. Uh, I'm stammering only because, you know, it just seems like the Ohio State defense is headed this way and the Ohio State offense may not be down here, but the Ohio State offense has lost, like you said, like you alluded to before the interview with Keith Byers, has, you know, lost its edge somewhere, somewhere along the way, something is missing. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, but number one, do you agree that this defense is maybe, is probably ready for this, uh, this test, this test once again? Well, I don't think that a one-dimensional offense can have that much success against Ohio State because if it knows what you want to do, and we've seen this before, whether that's the run or the pass, if there's just one thing that, that an opponent – really hangs its hat on. Ohio State has the athletes, the scheme, the coaches, all of it to take that away. They almost always do. Now, we know that there were, you know, some factors that led them to make some changes in September. But if, if Purdue, you know, what they run for, six yards against Michigan State? Something like they, that. Yeah, and they won the game, and they, you know, they had a, a – they made a choice. They stuck with it. Michigan State wasn't able to stop it. I don't think in this situation – the way Denzel Burke is playing, the way a healthy Cam Brown is playing, the way Ronnie Hickman is playing, the way Steel Chambers has helped elevate even that uh, pass defense with the way he's rolling at linebacker when he's uh, allowed to be out there. Uh, and then this pass rush, like, you know, I think they'll just say, hey, Purdue, uh, you're not going to come to the horseshoe and win by throwing it 50, 60 times and trying to rely solely on Bell, who's great. And he's going to get catches just the same way that Jahan Dotson did. Uh, you're not going to be able to eliminate him entirely, but Ohio State, you know, pretty much neutralized and gave Penn State this, and so you're not going to win with that. Um, and they had success with that. And I think it's even more extreme for Purdue because it doesn't have the same caliber one through eleven of talent on the field and offense as even as Penn State did. Um, we'll see. I mean, it that's the part of it that is fun. Um, is seeing a strength-on-strength strength matchup and things, how that, how that plays out. But um, if you don't have the ability to run the ball, I don't, you know, and balance out and play two different ways and try and keep Ohio State guessing, I don't think you have much of a chance to, to have success. Now, they will – they'll hit some. Nebraska did last week, uh, yep. two long touchdowns. But um, <laughs> to do it for four quarters – I would be skeptical of that. Well, that's, that's the thing. One big pass play can erase a lot of sins, man, can erase a lot of uh, of strain. And, uh, uh, you yeah. know, we'll see. I mean, uh, 
definitely Purdue has the willingness to do that, to try that, to get to that. And we'll see how that goes. I mean, you know, you saw as uh, Matt, Matt Barnes took it on himself for a bad call on that one long pass, uh, basically over the middle uh, that turned into a touchdown to Toure. Uh, but, man, it sure looked like some safeties made some bad choices on that play. But, you know, but it, that is what it is at this point. Um, it's funny, though, because it sure looks like defenses are doing the same thing to Ohio State that you're talking about uh, Ohio State doing to uh, opposing offenses. You know, you're not going to win running the ball. You got, you're going to have to throw it. And, boy, uh, the last couple of weeks especially, uh, Penn State and Nebraska had a pretty good plan up front, in my opinion, uh, to shut down their Ohio State run game. You heard uh, Keith Byers talk about it. It's almost like if Travion doesn't get the ball, then it's going to be a pass. You know what I mean? And uh, that's putting it in simple terms. But when everybody's zeroing on one guy and then keeping coming against your passing game, eventually you're going to, you know, you're going to pay the price one way or the other. Uh, it What was alarming really to me was how Ohio State finally got something going with this running game on that last true possession of the game and uh, got into uh, 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 Nebraska territory. And you just knew, you know, you just knew that Ryan Day was impatient to make something happen now with the pass game to play off of that. And it almost played right into the hands of Nebraska. You know, they broke through uh, basically uh, forced, I don't know if they forced CJ Stride. It looked like he was rolling from the get go, but then strip strip sack him. Uh, Luke Whipler ends up falling on the ball for Ohio State, with Ohio State up only six points at that point, right near midfield. And you're kind of going, wow, why did, why did that just happen? Why did you just call that play? You know, and obviously they were looking for a quickie, you know, but uh, I did that, that, that was troubling a little bit. Uh, awesome. I think there were a number of uh, examples of play calling that weren't Ryan Day's best efforts on Saturday, but I'm not, I'm not really of the mindset that that's one of them. I think if they're Munford and Nicholas Petit Frere both completely whiffed on blocks and they had open receivers because Nebraska wasn't ex- expecting them to do that. And part of Ryan Day's reputation, part of his success is his willingness to be aggressive in situations where most people won't. Now, I also I, I don't dis- dispute the fact that time score situation probably means you should be working on the clock more. Uh, and it, w- it may seem like a completely unnecessary risk. And, and you feel that way. I, I have no problem with that opinion. I just I think there's adjustments that needed to be made to the scheme or uh, game plan with the rushing attack that weren't there. And, and that there were two weeks in the making and you, you expect more creativity from Ryan day in that regard, or you expect, you know, maybe you, you see that Penn state is just shooting in on the backside where there's no blocks or no efforts being made in the inside zone rushing attack and they're blowing it up and there's no, no resistance whatsoever. Um, so, I think there are, as you said, you want to have a take exception with that play call in a key situation uh, or other parts of it. I think there are lots of different avenues that you could take to say this may have not been Ryan Day's uh, best game plan, best uh, play calling, any of that stuff. But, you know, I sort of see where he's coming from on that one. Like, you know, and if, if Jeremy Ruckert catches the fourth and one early on or uh, taking the shot down the field, different conversations maybe that didn't happen. Overall, Ohio State's got to execute those things better, too. And it's it several weeks in a row, Tim, where we've had this where it's like you can kind of spread a lot of 
uh, blame or question or whatever around. It's just that's been the disjointed part of this. And Ohio State's offense is held to such a high standard, and the coaching staff obviously is, and the quarterback is, that you know it's notable when they're coming up short when they're not not accustomed to doing so. Yeah, right. Where I kind of disagree with you is, I, you know, I understand me. You know, you'd much rather cover an aggressive coach than a guy, you know, biggest, you know, I was fixed to say something's going to get me in trouble there. You'd much rather cover an aggressive coach. Just leave it at that. But there comes a moment in a game when you've got a, when you've got a lead and you are finally, you finally, your offensive line has got their defensive front on its heels. That was yeah. obvious to anybody watching that game on that drive. And there was no reason. There was no reason to pull the sword out on that play. And, uh, and then number three, it goes back to the old Woody A's. You know, three things can happen to them are bad. Well, actually, five or six things can happen to you, and uh, four or five of them are bad when you throw the ball, uh, and especially in a situation where you don't because, number one, Nebraska was hell-bent to get upfield to stop the run. So you got to take that into account. Yeah, and it's really funny because I saw PFF did a breakdown on Thayer Munford's uh, day, and it said he only gave up one quarterback hurry. Well, that was it. You know, the most critical – could have been the most critical play in Ohio State season right there. And uh, I just thought that was a moment where you just kind of put the, the gun back in the holster and you keep running the ball because your, your running back was feeling it. He was seeing things. Uh, uh, the offensive line was feeling it. And uh, sometimes you got to get that feel going, you know, like, well, what is my team doing best at this very moment? Because you can put yourself in jeopardy. We saw Ohio State do that against Alabama in 2014 in that victory in the Sugar Bowl. You know, they decided they wanted to get Evan uh, Spencer a touchdown. And they, they, they basically have the game in hand, throw the ball, stops the clock. Alabama doesn't have to use uh, one of it, or I think it's last time out. Next thing you know, at the end of the game, Tyvis Powell's interception was in the end zone because Alabama had the ball back and was throwing the ball to maybe get in position to tie the game. So <clears throat> there, there are moments when you need to just stick your knitting, you know. And uh, I thought that was a learning moment for Ryan Day and his offensive staff. And uh, – I'm going to stand by that regard because I totally love covering Ryan Day and this aggressive offense. Every week you see something new. But when you have pounded on pounded on that nail as long as they did in that game, they finally are driving that nail, and then suddenly, you know, uh, you opt to go another direction. I just thought that was it. That was not good timing. Let's put it that way. Yeah, and, you know, it's, if they execute the blocking better, there were receivers open. So – well, yeah, but they didn't. But my point was, yeah, I understand all that. But it was like on a pass play, a lot of things can go wrong. Whereas on a running play, let's say Trayvon Henderson gets stoned at the uh, line of scrimmage. You've lost zero yards instead of like keep knocking yourself at that moment, even out of field goal range. They had to battle just to get back into field goal range. I understand all, all those ifs and buts, you know, uh, but there are sometimes calculated risks you don't need to take. I, I guess is my point. Yeah. And I, I can, I'm not. I'm not telling you you're wrong. I, I'm, I think that I understand that where the thinking came from, and obviously it wasn't executed well, and it nearly cost them. Um, I think that in the grand scheme of things, if it were me out there, I said I probably, I probably would have ran the clock down the same way that you would have. I, I'm just saying I can, out of all the things that went, went on offensively, that one like didn't strike me as the craziest of them all. Maybe I'm in the minority. It could be. Uh, I probably am. But that's knowing yeah. the way he operates. He's done a lot of things, a bunch of fourth and threes and taking deep shots that I would never do personally. But that's the way he 
runs his program. That's what he wants his offense to do. That's how he's found a lot of success. And, you know, it would have been counter to his uh, culture to just, oh, boy, I hope we can milk or run out this clock here. And so that – Yeah, I, I know. I got you. But, I, you know, at the end of the third quarter, I don't have a problem with it. When you've got the game almost in hand, right. and you're, you're knocking them back, and it's near the end of the game, and one more one more first down, and you're, you've won the game. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. I guess that's my problem with it. I mean, it's like sometimes you just got to lick your wounds, win by six sure. instead of nine. Now that, that's my, I'm talking about time of the game. I'm not talking, you know, because we could go back and parse up a lot of things, you know, that did went right and wrong for Ohio State over the last two weeks offensively. Yeah. And uh, uh, But there, there are moments when, like I said, you know, you got to put the gun back in the holster, you know, and that's that's my best analogy, even though I hate using the uh, gun cliches and analogies, as you well know. But uh, I see exactly what you're talking about. And, yeah, there was stuff there, but you still got to get the pass off. You know, you still you still rely on five guys to give you some protection. And, uh, yeah. you know, that's not the time of the game, I don't think, to do that. So that was just – that's just my take because, you know, I, my, you know my philosophy when in doubt, air it out. I don't think they were in doubt on that play. <laughs> I think it was you hand off to Travion, who's finally got some momentum going. They've been waiting all day to get it going, you know what I mean? And they finally had it going and bingo, yeah. bango. Hey, I want to ask you this. Uh, uh, isn't it amazing what Steel Chambers means to that defense when he's in the lineup? I mean, I know yeah. I've said that, but it was crazy. There was just a spark there that wasn't there, you know. And I know he got another penalty this week. I forgot what it was for. But uh, at the end of the game, he ends up with – huh? Defensive holding. Yeah, and, defensive holding. Did you watch that play? see a defensive hold. I didn't see his hands on that receiver – in any way on the entire play. Let me ask you this. Did did we learn that you can't knock down a running back? Uh, you can't run through a running back who might be going – who may or may not be going out for a screen pass. Is that what we just learned? I mean, what, what's, what did we learn from that? I, big Ten officials, Tim. I just – I don't know. I don't know what else to say about it. Like, yeah. they're – Nebraska fans are upset about the officiating that game too. And yeah. maybe they go home and say, Hey, we did something right. Cause everybody hates us, but they hate you because they're very, very bad at their jobs. Like I, I, it sounds, you know, crazy to be having this conversation every week or like, you know, like the holding stuff has got to stop. I know that you can say it can be called on every single play, but, it's not just like ticky tack holds that are happening to Tyreek Smith and Zach Harrison. There was one play where Harrison's jersey was fully pulled back three feet, and they didn't throw a flag. There's another play that we broke down on the three, the three and out from the fourth quarter with Zach Bourne for Buck IQ this week, where Zach Harrison again, the jersey doesn't get pulled out. This time it gets pulled up, and you can see all of his pads and the back flap. Well. Jerseys, the way that they're made now, they don't just accidentally no. fly up. No. So I don't know. I don't I don't want this podcast, this show every single week to be breaking down the officiating, but I really just don't I don't understand how it's acceptable. Well, like, like I yeah, I tweeted about that one uh where uh basically I'm saying who is this mystery guy rushing the quarterback and then bloom. The uh the tackle, left tackle let go of Zach Harrison's jersey and suddenly it popped around. He was number nine. I mean, what are you watching? You know, what, you know, they're, they're egregious to a certain extent. And then, of course, you know, there's always going to be a, 
if you know, you can, you've heard this before. If you complain too much, not me and you, but if Ryan Day and his group complain too much, then sometimes it comes back and bite. It comes back to bite you, you know. But it it is it is numbing to watch this repeatedly week after week and to see what the opposing offensive line is getting away with when it comes to stopping Ohio State's defensive front. And, you know, we sit here and go, why doesn't Zach Harrison or, or why doesn't Zach Harrison have more sacks or why doesn't Tyreek have, have more hurries, which, by the way, Tyreek Smith, once again, I thought played a hell of a game. Well, one of the reasons is they're getting held on almost every play. Yeah, and I'm not suggesting that they need to call every hold on every play. I think it's the egregious ones, like you said, the 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 jersey being fully, nearly ripped off of Zach Harrison. Yeah, uh, those I don't know how they can be ignored, and and really, I don't blame Penn State, I don't blame Nebraska, and I won't blame Purdue. If the official, you, if you find out early in the game what you can get away with, and you are a competitor, right, then you keep doing it. If right. you're not ever going to call a hold, then there's no incentive not to. Right. You set the tongue. Yeah. And that, like Sean Clifford was able to rack up 330 yards because he had time that no one else would have. Adrian Martinez was able to make some plays because, you know, he had extra time that, that nobody else, like he shouldn't have had. Yeah. If you call it once or twice uh, early in the game, well, all right, I can't do that. This is what they're going to call. I'm not allowed to get a fistful of jersey, which should be obvious, but, um, you know, they're not throwing – uh, any laundry on the field for it. All right, well, I can push the envelope here. Uh, and what are they going to call? Well, it wound up being nothing again for the second consecutive week. And, you know, Purdue will notice that. Look, hey, we got to try this because one-on-one, they don't have a tackle that can block Zach Harrison or Tyreek Smith or Javante Jean-Baptiste uh, or Jack Sawyer or JT Tuimola. Like, they just don't. Yeah. That, that's your only hope. You know what they could do? I, I was thinking about this as that game went on. They could they could have backs for jerseys for the defensive ends and defensive tackles that are actually strapped on by Velcro. You know what I mean? On the front and the back. And that way you get a fistful of jersey, and all of a sudden you can't hide. You know, you're standing there and you're holding the front or back of uh, Zach Harrison's jersey in your hand while he's continuing to rush. And there hadn't been yeah. a – you know, that's the way they could fix it. Or they could wake up, make all these guys wear oven mitts. I don't know. Um <laughs> That's another way I've thought of, but, you know, you can't do that with your tight end. I mean, anyway, you know, folks, you know, we're not just uh, – this is – watch football, I'm, for me, for 60 years, for aw- awesome – how old are you, awesome? 25? What are you, awesome? 38. Yeah. For awesome. Where, well, having, I know I just threw that in there. Having watched football for 35 years, uh, we've watched a lot of football, and this this holding thing is egregious right now. That's the best way of, of wording it. Hey, real quick before we go, uh, uh, who's going to win? Who is – if Ohio State wins out, and it looks like Ohio State still has a great shot of winning out, three games left in the regular season. Uh, next week's game against uh, Michigan State will start at noon, by the way, ladies and gentlemen, so will the game at Michigan the following week. Who, if Ohio State wins out, who will it be playing in the Big Ten championship game? Give me a prediction right here, right now. You know, I still – it's just – Minnesota laid such a bad egg after we talked oh my about goodness. the last two weeks and uh, timed up really nicely with P.J. Fleck getting that extension. Uh, maybe you should have waited on that one, Minnesota. But um, I don't know. They still have that opportunity to win the league. It's so bunched up there with – you know, that was a four-way tie now. What a really just ugly kind of mess. 
Wisconsin is playing right now the best football on that side of the league, but yep. it's, it's so perilous in my opinion with Graham Mertz. I, I don't, I'm not, I'm going to be hesitant here. We've seen this play out before with a couple of strong performances and then absolutely crashing back to earth. Um, they have the best defense, I believe on that side. Um, but you know, now Minnesota gets to look at this and restart and PJ can maybe he'll actually be focused on something and then other than negotiating his contract. I still right now would think that Minnesota has a chance to win it. Um, and they probably will. Uh, but based on history and precedent, I guess we're due for another Ohio state, Wisconsin, every other year situation in Indy. So I guess that's probably what's going to happen, but um, I, I, I would, I still wouldn't rule Minnesota out. By the way, is that sign or cosine or is this cosine and is that sign? You know what I mean? Yes. This is a uh, Wisconsin's uh, time or, or yeah, this is Wisconsin's time to uh, once again, step up into the big 10 championship game, uh, which is shared with Northwestern the last to what four years <laughs> and uh, every other year. You know, what might help Tim is that this six year uh, arrangement uh, crossover game with Nebraska is now over. Yeah, uh, it was the last one, um, which it did not turn out the way the Big Ten wanted at all with the yeah. traditional historic powers. Like, oh, welcome in Nebraska and get them this series. Uh, mostly blowouts and then two competitive games in there. And now it, but that'll be replaced for Ohio State with Wisconsin. So maybe yeah. the fact that we can see this at some other point during the season could save us from having to see this matchup in Indy every other year. Um, otherwise, boy, we're going to get really sick of seeing the same people. Uh, in press boxes over the next few years. Yeah, crazy. Depending on where that, yeah. Uh, you know, it's funny. I, I really think Wisconsin's got it going on now, though, man. I mean, they did have a very slow start, especially offensively to the season. Uh, but their defense is playing very well. <laughs> I think you agree with me on that. And, uh, yeah, I think the last three weeks in the West are going to be as interesting, if not more so than the last three weeks in the East. Uh, you know, uh, last thing I wanted to ask you. You know, I, we talked about the CFP rankings uh, in the first segment of this of this podcast, but, uh, you know, is, is Cincinnati, did it come to the edge there, the precipice? And is it stepped back from the precipice? I mean, of really making that leap in your opinion, or we saw Tulsa play Ohio state. Tulsa had a pretty damn good defense that day. Ohio state still managed to score 41 points in that game. Uh, but is the AAC maybe better than people give it credit for also in terms of teams getting up for each other, uh, you know, just what's your take uh, on just the Cincinnati situation? I, Ryan Day kind of alluded to this, and it, it may sound like obvious in the Big Ten because the, the level of competition is better. It's hard to get through it. We know that they're all, you know, six, seven top 25 teams in that league, that it's going to be a gauntlet. But, you know, I you've seen this in other leagues that you've been around. I've, I certainly have, uh, even dating back to the time in the Mountain West. Conference conference games and conference opponents are just different. Yes, uh, one, you know you recruit at similar levels. Like the water finds its level there, and and Cincinnati, as great of a program as, as they have built and as successful as Luke Fickle has been, and the way he's elevated to try and have a more uh, national threat, national power, bringing in some other players. Well, there's they're still not going to have the same opportunity in that league. Um, so you're, you're not going to have a bunch of four and five stars on that roster. So even if they, even if they do, they are still playing against teams that see them every year that know every game, know the opponents they're playing, 
what they do, what they don't do, how to scout that. And, and a lot of pretty successful coaches in that level, like Luke Fickle's not the only one. So, you know, I, it's just hard to win conference games. And that's not yes. uh, an excuse for Cincinnati. And, and in fact, I'm going to actually use it against them right now in that it's a reminder that they are not our five school. And to get up to play Georgia once, it definitely counted. It's definitely impressive to get up to play Notre Dame. Yeah, absolutely. I'm not meaning to, like, not. I know how hard it is what they've done, what they've accomplished, but it's still different than doing it every single week the way, you know, when Alabama struggles against LSU, and, and I took a, a shot at that early on in this show. But LSU is loaded with four- and five-star players, even if they've got a bunch of guys hurt. The next ones in are four- and five-stars. That's not the case um, for the opponents that Cincinnati is playing. And it's hard. That's why they also deserve credit when they do go undefeated or when they, if they go undefeated. It's hard. But it's different, like, to still say, all right, well, the next two games, you're going to have to do it against Georgia and Ohio State consecutively. Like, I just yeah. don't – I don't think they could do that. Yeah. I, I agree with you 100% uh, on everything you just said. So, now I don't have to go off on a diatribe. <laughs> uh, and you're exactly right. And it's, but it's not putting down what they've done at all. But they're – they're not comparable when you get re really get right down to it. But I want to tell you something. College Football Playoff Committee putting Alabama number two in that first rankings, that's that's based on what Ohio, what Alabama's done over the years, not what Ohio, Alabama has done this year, in my opinion. And we saw that an example of that again against LSU. You know, maybe the LSU team is finally getting its act together and trying to win, you know, trying to play well for Coach O on his way out, you know. Uh, who knows what the inspiration there was. But uh, those were two programs pretty much going in opposite directions, uh, you know. And you like you just pointed out, that was a conference game against fairly like competitors. I'm talking about the players involved. And you saw how close things can be in college football. This is not one of the great Alabama teams. I will stand on that. Right. And I'll be honest with you, uh, right, right at this very moment, this sounds far-fetched, but I think Texas A&M plays Georgia for the SEC championship in four weeks. And I can be – I'm sure I can be wrong. But I just think Alabama, you know, I think Alabama-Auburn is going to be an interesting game. Let's just put it that way. Despite what happened in College Station the other night with Auburn. Uh, right. I just think it's going to be very interesting. But uh, I didn't make that a prediction. I just kind of threw it out there and I wouldn't be surprised. I right? like it. I didn't do a Spencer Holbrook on that one. <laughs> hey, by the way, Steel Chambers finally got his interception uh, three weeks after I called for him to get it, get, get the one, and he, but he didn't take it back for a pick six. So there you go. But, uh, man, those bold predictions are getting to me a little bit. Those, as I call them, outrageous obfuscations. But anyway, hey, awesome. Thanks for joining me again, my man. Uh, let me ask you one last thing. We'll get out of here. And just give me sort of a yes or no with one, one sentence rejoinder, uh, perhaps. Does Alabama, does Alabama, does Ohio State finish the regular season 11 and 1? Yes. And that means you have faith on the next three weeks, but especially the trip to the team up north. I, I mean, honestly, Tim, I'm, I think that that game is the easiest of the three. I, I, I do not, everybody will say, yeah, it's important. You take it seriously. Michigan, you know, Michigan's always tough no matter what. It's a rivalry. That's fine. You know, yeah. I, I'm not I'm not here to argue against that. But Michigan State is a much more complete team 
than Michigan in my estimation, especially because they can both run and throw the football. Yep. I think I think next week in the horseshoe is the most challenging game. The what Purdue does extremely well uh, with Bell and with that passing attack is obviously going to uh, you know put some stress on the coaching staff this week and on Saturday at three thirty. Teams that do something really well and are you know have nothing to lose. That's hard. There will be no problem in in the big house with motivation. There will be no question about the physicality that you have to play with. But Ohio's Ryan Day knows how to scheme up and will not be short of aggressiveness against Michigan in that game. And they are so, so limited offensively. There was all the conversation, oh, they figured it out and they're running really well and Jim Harbaugh's got that toughness. You can stop Michigan's rushing attack. Their offensive line is not good. The personnel at running back at Caskin is fine, but they can't throw. And that's been their problem for a long time. I just don't – I don't see it. You said one sentence, but I think if you put those three games in order, Michigan State is the toughest one remaining, and, and there's not – it's not even that close. Purdue just provides a challenge that's unique and you have to be ready for. And then Michigan, I just think, is wildly overrated and probably going to lose this week. Yeah. I said one sentence, but, you know, you can put the period anywhere you want to put it. You know what I'm saying? And number two, you know, I'll just leave it at this. Well, you know, who knows? It may come back to bite me, but uh, they it's almost like they have a holiday every time every time Michigan hits a big pass play, you know? It's like they just invented passing also. And I'm talking about with this year's team. And right. that's okay. But, you know, the big games are won or lost by who's got, in my opinion, you got to run the ball, but you got to be able to throw it and throw it with consistency. That will continue to set Ohio State apart uh, in, in the Big Ten, especially down the stretch. Uh, if if Purdue wants to make it a throw-in game, I think that's a uh, – if they want to go pass for pass with Ohio State, I think that's a big mistake on Saturday. I think I think Ohio State is primed from what I've seen of Purdue's defense. I think Ohio State is primed to get after it on Saturday, throwing the ball. Yeah, they want to run it too, and I think Ohio State can have some success running it. But like I said, you don't want to get into a – into a passing duel with uh, Ohio State, Ryan Day, and C.J. Stroud. Would I like right. to see C.J. Stroud run the ball about five or seven times a game? Absolutely. That would change everything, in my opinion, for this offense, especially for the running game. We'll see if they get to that. What, what's just your quick one-sentence take on that? I, I mean, he ran it a couple of times on Saturday. Yeah, kept on, a, kept on a zone read option. It was unbelievable. Go ahead. When Ryan Day – is giving him the option or relying on him to do it, C.J. Stroud does it. And I don't think that you'll see it happen a lot more than that because so much of the philosophy for Ryan Day is to make sure that his quarterbacks are protected and winning the game with their arm. Yep. If he was, if he wanted C.J. Stroud to run a lot more, it would be very clear. Now, there are certainly opportunities when he's scrambling, extending plays, where the decision-making – could be different or improved, and it may lend itself to a couple of those scrambles. But I, I don't see Ohio State's issue in the run game being tied to C.J. Stroud not running. I just, I think it caused turnovers on Saturday. I don't think it had anything to do with the schemat. What I viewed as schematic and potentially play calling issues of running the football. I don't think C.J. Stroud solves that, and I don't think Ryan Day wants to address it that way or else he already would. Yeah. 
You know, they got to pick up, like you just said, though, they got to pick up those backside guys just, just coming, just coming off the ball. And, uh, you know, cause that caught them a couple three times the other day. And that's with Travion Henderson in the game. I mean, they got to do something about that. I'm sure they're watching that video. They watched that video since that game and went, God, are you kidding me? You know, I mean, about eight times in the run game, because there were things there at the point of attack if they had gotten to the line of scrimmage, you know, and, uh, they didn't get, they, you know, you gotta, when you've got a guy pulling and stuff, you've got to, you know what I mean? There are all these little nuances, you changes you've got to make now late in the year when everybody's kind of caught on to what you're yeah. trying to get done up front on some of those run plays. And I'm sure you and uh, on the, my favorite thing, Buck IQ with uh, Zach Boren, I'm sure you guys probably saw something about that or talked about that. You definitely talked about the holding calls. It sounds like, but uh, you know, it, that's my favorite thing on, uh, on our, on our website right now. No, no offense. Hey, hey, after the Tim May podcast. You gotta you gotta trust the personnel around you to do what yes. they do. Yes. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that wraps up another Tim May podcast. I'll just get to the end here instead of like uh Mamby Pamby and and uh awesome Ward, thanks for joining me again, my man. And uh I'll let you land this one and you did a very good job. Now I'll taxi it to the gate. The pilot always takes over when the plane's on the ground. I don't know if you know that or not. Uh, but until next week for awesome ward, this is Tim May. We'll see you then. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.